Our scripture lesson today is this passage from John's Gospel, the 21st chapter, beginning with verse 15 through 19. And the title of the sermon today is Second Chances. Second Chances. You know, one of the things that I like about Jesus, one of the things that we learn about Jesus in the Gospels is that over and over and over again, Jesus is always seeking to meet us where we are. Jesus is seeking to reveal Himself to all of humanity. Jesus is seeking to give us second chances. In the scripture that preceded our particular text that you heard read this morning, Jesus has reached out to and tried to reveal Himself to seven disciples. But what is so interesting about that is that Jesus, we're only named five of the disciples were named in the passage. There are two disciples that aren't named that Jesus meets in Galilee that day. And it makes me wonder, well, why in the world would he not name two of those disciples? I mean, if you were one of those two, wouldn't you want your name to live for all of eternity in the story that John recorded and that we continue to read today? And yet, I think the reason why John didn't mention these two disciples is perhaps because John wanted us all of these years later to see ourselves in this story. The unnamed disciples that have followed the first 12 disciples, you and me, the same Jesus that was willing to reveal himself to them is willing to reveal himself to us. The same Jesus that was willing to offer second chances to them is the one that seeks to offer second chances to us when we make a mess of our lives. It's interesting that these seven disciples that Jesus meets in Galilee, that he actually does meet them in Galilee because everything that happened in the previous chapter, all of the events that have just unfolded took place in Jerusalem. So why in the world are they in Galilee now? Why there instead of in the holy city? And, and I suspect that one of the reasons why that they were in Galilee is because they were tired of everybody staring at them, pointing at them. Asking them questions. Can't you just imagine walking around in the, in the town of uh, Jerusalem and, and people walking up to you and saying, aren't you some of those people that called yourselves disciples of Jesus? Uh, did he really raise himself from the dead? How did he raise himself from the dead? And, and where is he now? And what's he up to? And better yet, what are you up to? Perhaps the reason why these disciples went to Galilee is because they were tired of all of those stares. They were tired of all of those questions. They were tired of all of that pointing in their direction. And they just wanted to get away from it all. Perhaps they went to Galilee because they were confused. I mean, after all, Jesus was not the Messiah that they anticipated Him being. He didn't do all of the things that they thought that a Messiah would do. And so they were confused about what had happened and how this thing was going to play out. And sometimes when you're confused, you, you try to uh, get yourself back on track by focusing on the parts that aren't that confusing. And so maybe for the disciples, what was not that confusing to them was their occupation that they had before they became followers and apostles of Jesus. And so maybe why they went back to Galilee is because they wanted to go back to their old occupation of fishing. 
Perhaps they went back to Galilee because they were discouraged. I mean, after all, denying and deserting Jesus really doesn't look that good on a resume. And so maybe they were uh, afraid that, that Jesus was about to replace them, that their apostling days and their discipling days were over, and that Jesus was going to put in their place stronger believers and more loyal followers, and they were so discouraged that they went back to Galilee. We don't really know why they went back to Galilee, but we know that if they did go back there to go fishing, uh, things didn't exactly go well. We're told by John that they'd been out fishing all night long and that they hadn't caught a single thing. They were about as successful at fishing as they were standing close and standing by Jesus during the darkest days of his life, during his trial and his crucifixion. And yet, despite having failed Jesus in that moment, despite having fallen short of what Jesus had hoped that they would do and be in those difficult days, Jesus comes to reveal Himself to His disciples. They don't know it yet, but Jesus has come to offer them a second chance. Jesus has come to help them clean up the mess that has been made. We're told that the disciples didn't recognize that it was Jesus when they first saw a man on the beach. Maybe that's because they thought he was just any man on a beach, walking the beach at sunrise. Maybe they didn't recognize Jesus because the sun actually hadn't risen yet and it was too dim in, in the pre-dawn hours for them to make out just who that was on the beach that morning. Maybe it was the distance that the boat was away from the shore was the reason why they couldn't recognize Jesus that morning. Maybe it was because they were so preoccupied with their own failures, not just the failures of having fished all night long and caught nothing, but the way that they had failed and fallen short in helping and being with Jesus during the final days of his life. Maybe they were so preoccupied with those failures, and that's why they couldn't see Jesus. But not only could they not see Jesus, John tells us in his gospel that they didn't even recognize Jesus' voice. This surprises me a little bit. I mean, after all, they've spent the last three years with Jesus. They've heard him teach. They've heard him preach. They've heard him tell jokes. They've heard him laugh. They've heard him cry. They've heard him tell stories around the campfire. Why in the world would they not recognize Jesus' voice when he spoke to them? And yet, despite not recognizing him by sight, despite not recognizing his voice, whenever Jesus does speak to him, they respond, they listen. Jesus, upon finding out that they hadn't caught any fish all night long, suggests that they put their nets down on the other side of the boat, and the disciples actually listen to him. Maybe they thought that from his vantage point, he could see a school of fish that they could not see. Uh, maybe Jesus was just trying to give them an opportunity to trust him. Maybe Jesus was trying to figure out where they were uh, in their faith and in their attitude. But we're told that they do cast their nets out on the other side of the boat. Now, the Scripture doesn't say this, but I've been around people long enough to know that don't you know that in that boat, at least one disciple looked at another disciple and said, don't you hate it when somebody that doesn't do our job tries to tell us how to do our job? But they cast those nets 
into the water on the other side. And John says that they caught so many fish in that net that they could not even pull the nets in to the boat. And it's at this point the beloved disciple recognizes who Jesus is. That is the Lord, he said. Now scholars tell us that the beloved disciple is probably none other than John, the gospel writer himself. Uh, he's the one that sat next to Jesus during the Last Supper as they celebrated the Passover meal. He's the one that stood next to Jesus' mother when Jesus was being crucified and Jesus asked him to take care of his mother. He had such a special relationship with Jesus that John doesn't ever refer to himself by name in the Gospel, but instead calls himself the one that Jesus loved John recognizes who Jesus is. It is the Lord. And although John is the first one to recognize Jesus, Simon Peter is the first one to act on recognizing Jesus. And Simon Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore, leaving everybody else to try to get all of those fish and all of those boats back into the shore. And when they get to the shore, Jesus has already started preparing breakfast. There are already fish on the charcoal fire cooking. And I don't want you to miss this part of the story because as we start to think about stewardship in our church and in our lives, technically speaking, Jesus doesn't need you and I to do anything. Jesus is big enough and great enough that Jesus could do whatever Jesus wants to do. That's clearly demonstrated in the Scriptures. And yet Jesus, despite already having fish on the charcoal fire, asked the disciples if they would be willing to share what they have just caught. And then Jesus takes those fish, and He blesses those fish, and He makes sure to share those fish so that everyone can enjoy breakfast. When you and I put money in this plate every week, that's exactly what we're doing. We're offering what we have, what Jesus has helped us secure, in the hopes that that will be taken and blessed and shared so that all may come to know the God of second chances. Well, it's after that breakfast that we arrive at the Scripture that we read today. Perhaps the other fishermen have gone back out to clean up their nets and to begin to process all of the fish that they've just caught. But meanwhile, around that charcoal fire, Jesus and Peter engage in a conversation. And Jesus asked Peter three separate times, Do you love me? And most scholars believe that the reason why Jesus asked Simon Peter that question three separate times is because both of them were mindful of how earlier Peter had denied Jesus three separate times. Peter had an opportunity to affirm his relationship with Jesus, to confirm his love for Jesus, and yet he did not. I'm guessing Peter thought, when he saw Jesus sticking around the fire to have a conversation with him, that he was about to get an earful for how he had failed, for how he had fallen, 
for how he had not done what he could have done and should have done to be with Jesus in his deepest time of need. And yet, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came to him and gave him three new opportunities to affirm his relationship with Jesus, to confirm his love for Jesus. Instead of condemning Peter, Jesus came offering Peter a second chance to say, I love you and I want a relationship with you. As we gather together on Communion Sunday, that's what this table is for. It's for people like you and me who have made a mess of our lives. It's for people like you and me who desperately need not condemnation, but a second chance. It is the place where God comes to us and says, do you love me? Do you earnestly repent of your sin? Do you seek to live in peace with one another? If so, have I got good news. A second chance for you. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This proves God's love for us. God is a God of second chances.